Welcome to Tigers in 20, a Go Tigers 247 audio podcast. Your one-stop shop for all things University of Memphis Tigers athletics. Here are your hosts, founder of Go Tigers 247, Brooks Hansen, and lead writer for Go Tigers 247, Christian Fowler. Welcome back, everyone, to this week's episode. I'm your host, Christian Fowler, and joining me, as always, is Go Tigers 247 founder, Brooks Hansen. And Brooks, we come tonight with a, a special Tigers in 20, a breaking news Tigers in 20, a little bit of movement in the James Wiseman case versus the NCAA. What is the breaking news, Brooks? Well, you said we're, we're coming tonight, uh, but we don't know when this podcast is going to air. We're going we're gonna to hold it until we get the okay to go ahead. We're recording on Wednesday night, but whenever you're listening to this, this breaking news is that the team around, the legal team around James Wiseman has decided to non-suit the lawsuit against the NCAA and the University of Memphis. Um, that is massive news coming off of the news on Wednesday that the NCAA decided to cut the four-game suspension for Ohio State star Chase Young in half, only suspending him for two day, uh, two games and allowing him to come back and finish the rest of the season. Um, so this news comes on the heels of that news, which it feels like the NCAA is kind of saying, hey, we're willing to compromise in situations where uh, we may have overreacted, right? I mean, Christian, do you get that same feeling? Yeah, I think I think that's a perfect explanation. And even when I first saw the Chase Young news, it was it was it seemed like kind of odd timing because it's like we're not hearing much about James Wiseman. The Chase Young case has really been the talk of college football. James Wiseman case has been the talk of college basketball. Um, so no movement with Wiseman up to this point, and then you get the announcement with Chase Young on early Wednesday, Wednesday afternoon. So it makes sense. It kind, of, it, like you said, it kind of it feels like the NCAA is like, okay, uh, we realize we went a little too far. Maybe we'll pull back because Chase Young has arguably been the best player in college football this year. Four game suspension was huge because he missed Penn State and Michigan. I know I'm getting a little off track here, um, but they reduced that, and that's huge because. They were basically going to make him miss the rest of the regular season. Now he gets this opportunity, and it makes you wonder what that could look like for James Wiseman as well as far as compromise goes. Well, and and the reason why this news is such a big deal is, one, it's some of the first big tangible pieces of movement in this since the initial announcement last Friday that Wiseman was ineligible or likely ineligible. Uh, but, two, it's – the idea of what a non-suit is. So I'm not a lawyer. I have been speaking with a lot of them, uh, and I've been reading a lot about what's going on here. Uh, And a non-suit, just broken down in the simplest terms, is when uh, the party that filed a suit voluntarily withdraws the suit, uh, but it's still allowed to bring a second suit on the same cause of action at a later time. Um, So, for instance, the NCAA has shown with Chase Young that they're willing to compromise. Almost like a a tit-for-tat, it feels like, with Memphis, uh, with James Wiseman non-suiting this lawsuit. The NCAA kind of backs off a little bit. Memphis says, okay, we're willing to to play ball. We're willing to compromise. We're willing to lay down our arms. Let's 
let's settle the, this in a fair and equitable way. Um, and, and in theory, the idea of a non-suit within the legal community, it, it essentially gives plaintiffs an enormous tactical advantage when they are in the middle of litigating or negotiating a suit. Um, so this is big because it shows that there is definite tangible movement in this case for once. Uh, I feel like we, the last four days have gone by extremely slowly. Um, so, you know, I, what's next? I don't know. I mean, it feels like this is the beginning of the process of the University of Memphis, the NCAA, and the Wiseman legal team finally nailing down some sort of game option on sitting out. What do you take away? Yeah, I, I think I think your explanation of the non-suit was perfect because it still allows Memphis, as you said, to have a tactical advantage. And I know on the front end of this, people are going to be like, oh my God, Memphis pulled out, they backed down, they're going to take punishment or whatever. Um, but if they can't come to agreement, if the two sides can't come to the agreement, the University of Memphis and the NCAA, then James Wiseman can file this lawsuit under the same notion and under the same causes that he's that he initially filed it under, which which to me is huge because you don't lose any leverage at that point. You still have a solid case if you don't like what the NCAA comes back with. So I think the reason that this is so important is because there's no way that a team, especially such a young team, could go through a season. Let's say this was to drag out throughout the season. I don't think there's any way that that can go without distraction. That's going to be a distraction when when all anyone wants to talk about, as we saw on the Memphis vs. Oregon broadcast, is the James Wiseman lawsuit. I feel like they mentioned it every time they mentioned James Wiseman. They had to mention ineligibility and lawsuit and this and that. And it's just such a distraction. And then also, I think the other side of it that's so important is if you're under scrutiny for this long, especially from the NCAA and all the big media corporations who are saying that you're kind of going against the grain, well, I think I think that's negative recruiting. So if that trails out throughout the season, how does that affect recruiting? So I think it's a smart move to go ahead and try to come to an agreement and try to get this over. Uh, obviously, we don't know what that agreement looks like or what it could look like. Uh, but I think it is proactive for both sides. I think if you if you do get a little slap on the wrist like Chase Young did with a two-game suspension instead of a four-game suspension uh, and just get something quick and easy and get it over with, I think that's much better than dragging it out throughout the course of the season. And, and let's be clear. This is not without some risk. You know, I, I do feel like there is risk because from the NCAA's perspective – they could just say, well, Chase Young had nothing to do with James Wiseman. And you dismissing this lawsuit, non-suiting it, uh, says to us that you don't believe in your suit. And we are going to, yet again, try to enforce the maximum penalty uh, upon James Wiseman and retroactively the University of Memphis for essentially spitting in our face. Could it go that way? Yes. Very possible. I say this anytime someone brings up the NCAA, I would never put anything past the NCAA. You just never know. Um, so, and important to note, as of tonight when we're recording, there is no game timeline put on the table from either side as of this moment. And that comes from multiple sides involved in this process. There is no 
compromise, no settlement on the table as of tonight. Now, could that come tomorrow? Could that come later in the week? Sure. Uh, could this movement be kind of the precursor to start that process? Absolutely. So, Christian, I, th- I think that with this being such breaking news, I'm not a lawyer. You're not a lawyer. We're doing the best we can with this. Let's go ahead and move into recruiting the Oregon game and even some football with Memphis taking on Houston this weekend. Uh, and then we'll we'll add some more depth to this coverage about Wiseman and the non-suit with additional podcasts. So let's take a break, hear from our sponsors. We'll be back on the other side to talk about Chris Moore, Oregon, and football. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance, and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. All right, so now that we got the bills out of the way, Christian, last night, uh, well, Tuesday night, let me let me fix that. Tuesday night, the University of Memphis had its first big test of the season, probably one of its biggest games of the entire year against number 15, Oregon. Uh, it did not disappoint in, from my perspective. Now, I know a lot of Memphis fans were disappointed with the outcome. The Tigers fell by eight. Um, they were, you know, Oregon was favored by four. So it was right there in that ballpark. And all things considered, which we'll get into – I think the game played out ex- exactly how you could expect given the cir- circumstances. So, Christian, you wrote an article after the game titled Three Things I Know, Three Things I Think. I want you to highlight one thing you know and one thing you think and why. Well, there, I think there's definitely, in the things I know, not a ton of controversy in the things I think. There are a couple. Uh, for, the, for the thing I know, I think you really have to go with who played the best against Oregon and that's Damian Ball and my point on him was really that you know coming out of high school it was well well documented that he had a great motor and that he was relentless and non-stop uh, but people weren't sure how refined he was and how that how quickly it would translate and I think Tuesday night's game is a perfect example of I, first off I think how hard he worked when he got to Memphis to be as good of a player as he is already uh, but when you look at the hustle plays, the steals, the rebounds, I mean, he's got, he's he's rebounding against six seven, six eight, six nine guys at a decent clip, which is very impressive for a freshman guard, a six four freshman guard. Uh, he's taking charges, which is very positive for a young freshman player three game three games into their career to be doing. And he's also showing that he can score down low, which you know, which we knew, but to be able to go and score down low against NCAA bigs is is a little different than doing it in in high school. So. To me, he was the most impressive player. I know Lester led in scoring. James was second in scoring. But the way that Damian impacts the game is on so many different levels. Every time Memphis needed a spark on defense, Damian was getting a steal or, like I mentioned, drawing a charge. And, and he was decent scoring. He wasn't he wasn't great. He wasn't terrible. Uh, I think he forced a couple shots down low, had some circus-looking shots down low that didn't go. Uh, but th- those are things you expect from a young player. So, overall... I think Damian was probably the best player on the floor for Memphis on Tuesday night. I, I think his stat line pretty much showed that. Uh, seven assists, three steals. He was all over the place. 
Um, and for one of the things that I think, and I know a lot of people aren't going to like this because he's a hometown kid, but I think Tyler Harris has to play less minutes and Alex Lomax has to play more. Um, I know Alex will make mistakes from from time to time when he's on the floor, um, but for the most part, he's a lot like Damian Ball. He creates plays on defense. He can get down low. Uh, he's very unselfish will pass the ball. And Tyler Harris is well-known for shooting. That's what he's always been known for. He shot 30% last year, which obviously not very good, and he's 4 for 14 so far this year. So the thing that he's brought in to impact the game with, which is his shooting, he's not doing very well. Uh, When he gets in, he looks like he's forcing things. He looks like he's trying to make a play and not let the game come to him. Uh, He just has not been good this year. I I I don't know if it's a problem with meshing with this unit or just trying to stand out and show out when he does get in the game. I don't think Tyler is a bad player, but I think when he is forcing everything, because sometimes when you see him get the ball, he's pushing it straight down the court, uh, trying to drive and kick, and it just it doesn't work. He's also a liability on defense. So I think if Tyler Harris is going to be playing 13 to 15 minutes a game, he has to clean some things up. But if not, I think Alex Lomax needs more minutes. I think Tyler Harris needs less minutes, because I think if Tyler does play like this, he can definitely hurt the team. I actually completely agree with your one point on what you think. And and here's the reality of it. If you look at the game in the second half, Memphis made a run, took the lead with 15-53 to go in the second half by one point. Lester Quinones hit a three, put the Tigers up by one, 49-48. And at that point, Alo, Tyler Harris, and Jaden Hardaway, all three came into the game. Penny Hardaway was trying to buy some time trying to get his guys a little bit of a rest and wait for that TV timeout. And Oregon went on a 9 nothing run, and Memphis was never able to recover. Alo, Tyler, and Jaden Hardaway became a defensive liability while they were on the floor together. And I think it showed that the, the rotation really is going to be about eight players. Um, you know, and, and you cannot have – all of your freshman guards on the bench at one time. And I know, yes, they're young. Yes, they struggled at times yesterday. But this team, as much as they're going to go as James Wiseman goes, they're going to go as these young freshman guards are going to go. Um, you know, Lester Quinones led the team with 16. And let's just call it what it is. Lester's still not shooting the ball great. He was two for nine uh, on Tuesday night. But what Lester did – is he did so many of the intangibles. He hustled. He was scrappy. He got in there, uh, got a couple of really big rebounds. Uh, he had four assists, and and his game really started to show what I think it needs to, you know, to really rely on, and that's starting in the paint, driving to the bucket, getting to the free throw line because he is such a good free throw shooter, and then getting his stroke going. Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, I, I agree with those sentiments. I also think DJ Jeffries needs to get more shots. That man is, you know, if if you're making a comparison between your two freshman guys that are supposed to be playing your four, I know DJ Jeffries has come out and said that he's more comfortable coming off the bench, that uh, he likes being in that role right now. But I think in terms of overall productivity, if it keeps going this way, DJ Jeffries – I mean, and he played starter minutes less uh, on Tuesday night. He played 30 minutes. 
But, I mean, he just needs more touches, more more shot attempts because he's shooting at a high clip. He's extremely productive, and it shows in the box score. And bottom line, that's what it comes down to. Um, Christian, the last thing I have is that, honestly, I feel like, uh, and I'm just going to say it, for what Memphis did last night to only lose by eight, it's shocking to me. They had a a realistic chance to win that game in spite of giving up eight points on just straight-up piss-poor inbounds defense uh, underneath the goal. They gave away eight points right there. Um, you know, there was a stretch where uh, Damian Ball drew an offensive foul from an Oregon player. The refs missed it. They kick it to Peyton Pritchard. Damian Ball does not get up in time and close out on that three. And he nails it. Then Memphis turns the ball over. Oregon scores again. And pretty much from that point on, there's no looking back. So that offensive foul gets called. Things change. James Wiseman on the bench for 15 minutes of the first half, completely out of sync and still finishing with 14 points and 12 rebounds. That just shows you how dominant he could be. So all things considered, I think last night, Tuesday night, was an extremely positive showing for the Tigers, no matter how disorganized they look, no matter how they're young, they're freshmen, they're going to defense takes time. Uh, this is a reads based offense. And when the opponent is shifting defenses continually, there are going to be times where players don't recognize the shift from a 3 2 to a 2 3 to a man to man or a, a soft man-to-man zone it's going to happen so I would say stay positive Um, we'll see next big game on the schedule NC State uh, up in up in Brooklyn that's going to be a big game yeah I think your point is perfect because this team is going to take time to mesh and I actually I actually commend Memphis fans because they weren't freaking out after last night they I think they took the loss very well i think they absolutely i think they realize that this is a young team there's going to be growing pains and you would much rather have growing pains in early november than in february and march and i think they realize that well it, get, it gets easier to take that loss last night when on the same night kentucky loses to evansville, to evansville. <laughs> uh, yeah i mean and just just look in in the top 25 on wednesday night i mean you're you're seeing a, yet again another night where the top 25 is just not safe. You know, LSU travels to VCU and drops a game. You know, number 23, uh, LSU. Villanova, who's number 10 in the country, gets blown out by 25 points by Ohio State. I mean, now that is cause for concern. You know? like. Yeah. Number 10, Villanova versus number 16, Ohio State, and you drop it by 25? Right. But also, That's also concerning. a lot of young. That was not Tuesday night. A lot of young players. Yeah, a lot of young players there, too. But um, yeah, going back to your point, I think this team's going to take a while to mesh. I think it shows. And my biggest thing on it is I don't think this team really takes the next step until Precious and James learn how to play together. And that's something that I've been saying since the first game yep. is that they've only played three games together now. And when you look at it, uh, but I believe it was the South Carolina State game uh, or the USC game that 
Precious had to sit a lot of the first half because of foul trouble. And then you have that with James on Tuesday night against Oregon. So they haven't spent a ton of time together on the court. You can tell uh, when Precious gets the ball when James is in, he tries to kind of force things down low. Um, They both want to play in the paint. So I think there has to be some way for them to figure that out. I think that obviously comes with Tom. But if they can't figure it out, I think you have the perfect guy to come in and play the four at DJ Jeffries and start him if that's what needs to be done. Because DJ is, I mean, I don't even think it's arguable. I think DJ has been the second best player on this team up to this point. So there's multiple ways to figure it out. I'm not saying that Precious needs to be benched or anything like that. I'm just saying that those two guys have to figure out how to play together for this team to take the next step. That's the two quote-unquote best players on the team. Those are the players expected to be lottery picks next year. They have to learn how to coexist because obviously when they get to the next level, they have to coexist. So that's just something that comes with time. They're both used to being the big dogs on the team, and I understand that. Um, but that it has to just work itself out. It has to work. It has to work with those two together on the floor for this team to take the next step. Because if they're both doing the, what they have to do down low, uh, Precious is step, stepping out and hitting mid-range shots. James is stepping out and hitting mid-range shots. It opens up the floor so much. So I think when they learn to coexist, which I think will obviously take some time, uh, but I think when that happens, that's when this team really takes the next step. This team doesn't realize how good it could be. You, you look at it from, just from a talent perspective. When shots start falling, when Precious figures it out, uh, when he figures out spacing, that's been a lot of it. Uh, he's also not an extremely skilled guy. He's not uh, he's not two dribble pull up guy. He's not you know coming off screens and hitting jumpers. He he's motor. Uh, you know he's at the rim, garbage type of points. Uh, he he's not going to be that skill guy like DJ is. He's got to find his way to make an impact and fit alongside James, like you said. So. Damian Ball does not realize how good he could be. I don't even think he's scratched the surface. So when these guys start figuring out, when Boogie consistently, uh, like he did the last game, shoots the ball at a high clip, when Lester shoots at a high clip, when they get it all together, watch out. All right, Christian. You know what the you know what the most last thing on this. You know what the most encouraging thing to me is. What? After the after the game last night, post game press conference. Damian Ball says that they have to take practice more seriously, that they have to stop joking around. They have to stop, you know, having fun during practice. They have to work during practice. And I think for for a freshman to say that three games into the season says a lot about where the mindset really is for this team. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's a, a result of no senior leadership. Let's just call it what it is. There, there are no upperclassmen that know what it takes, know what goes into a high-level practice. Um there, there, there aren't those guys. There's no Antonio Anderson threatening to kick somebody's ass if they step out of line in practice. There's just not that guy, you know? And is Damian Ball going to turn into that guy? Who's going to be that guy? Is it, you know, if I'm picking a guy on my side that I want being that guy, it's Isaiah Stokes. Now, is he acclimated to everyone enough to be that guy that's willing to step up and threaten a guy if he's stepping out of line in practice? We'll see. All right, Christian, let's move on. Let's take another quick break. We'll come back, Chris Moore, recruiting, and then football. All right, Brooks, well, you said you want to talk a little recruiting, and I know Chris Moore is who's on most people's mind right now with his decision coming on Saturday. So what is the latest on the four-star Ford? 
All right, so everybody knows because I, I made a very clear – I made a crystal ball pick for Chris Moore about a week and a half ago for Memphis. And that was from very tangible buzz, uh, very real information around the Memphis program, uh, around the Memphis basketball community. And so Chris Moore was set to announce his decision this coming Friday on the 15th. And we were going to be there for sure. Um, Chris Moore delayed that announcement. And uh, we, we did get the notification from Chris Moore's brother, Alvin, that they were moving that announcement to Saturday, the 16th. Which, you know, if you're a Memphis fan, you know Memphis has a basketball game uh, Saturday early afternoon at 1 o'clock. Memphis then has a football game just a little bit later uh, in the afternoon against Houston. So, you know, we're kind of hanging on the line waiting to find out what time. Is it going to be Saturday morning? Come to find out it is right smack dab in the middle of the Memphis basketball game at 2.30 on Saturday. So that's the first strange thing that happened. You know, as as we got word that it was delayed, it didn't sound right to me. So I started checking, got crickets. And anytime things go silent, something's up. So I started checking with people outside of the normal University of Memphis basketball program circle of sources outside of the University, I mean, the city of Memphis basketball sources. I started reaching out to people that I know in Arkansas, in Mississippi, in AAU in general. And I've gotten a good amount of feedback that is, it seems to be that there is a ton of smoke for Arkansas right now. Now, do I think that this is a done deal for Arkansas as of Wednesday night? No. Uh, I do feel like the the folks around the Memphis program feel good about Chris Moore and where they were, um, have not been told anything different than what they knew. Um, so any movement for Chris Moore to Arkansas would would have been since the dead period began. So there's nothing new to report from the Memphis side of things. Now, to give credit where credit is due, Danny West with Hog Sports uh, and Trey Biddy both pulled the trigger for Arkansas uh, earlier on Wednesday uh, for Chris Moore. So they they were ahead of this. They, they're calling it early. We'll see. I mean, I think that it's very clear that Memphis was the front runner before James Wiseman. Uh, that that news on Friday that threw a kink into things, and with the dead period starting, there's there's really very little that Memphis can do about any kind of internal discussions within the Moore camp that might relate to that recent news. So hard one to call. I do think that if Chris Moore had committed last Friday morning, it would have been Memphis. Do I think that there's a very good chance that it's Arkansas on Saturday afternoon? Yes. So we'll see. Did I hedge my bets well enough? 
I mean, I feel like I was, I mean, I'm not trying to hedge my bets. I'm just trying to be like straight up honest. I don't, I don't know. Yeah. I think, I think that's the best way to put it. Yeah. So, uh, other recruiting news, uh, Brandon Huntley Hatfield just came off his official visit working on a story with him. Uh, we'll have that up on go tigers two, four, seven. And in the next week or so, there are other visits in the works. Um, so stay tuned to the Go Tigers 247's VIP podcast for more information on 2020 and 2021 recruiting as it relates to Jalen Green, some 2021 targets, and some upcoming visits. So Christian, I've got no other non-VIP recruiting nuggets to drop here. You got anything? I actually do have a football recruiting nugget, but that will also be saved for the VIP podcast. So you'll have to tune into that to hear uh, a new movement, a new story with Memphis football recruiting. Perfect. All right. So perfect transition. Memphis travels to Texas this coming weekend, faces off against the Houston Cougars who have been a, you know, a sneaky, sneaky team that have has uh, tried to beat a couple of high-level teams this year. Um, what do you think about this matchup? I think I don't think it could be considered a trap game. Like the Tulsa game was a hundred percent a trap game. It was a definition of a trap game, as UCF found out last Saturday as they lost to Tulsa. So I don't think it's a trap game because I think Memphis understands that Houston is still a, t- a talented team minus Derek King. On the offensive side of the ball, defensive side of the ball, Houston's not very good. Um, But I think it's perfect timing because they got the bye week to come off of the SMU win, which, as I've said multiple times now, in my opinion, if they go to Houston last Saturday, they dropped that game because of the impact of the SMU game and the emotions and the national stage. So I think it was perfect for them to get a week to kind of relax, to breathe, um, and to refocus their attention on a new team. Uh, because they, I mean, at that point when the SMU game came, they had already been in the national spotlight all week with game day coming. They had the huge spectacle of Saturday and then the game. Uh, and then obviously national media still covering them because of the win, um, because of how successful they have been this season, being 8-1 and and being a top 20 team in the country. Now, refocus, shift your focus to Houston. You're obviously going on the road, which Memphis hasn't been nearly as good on the road. Uh, when you look at their road games this year, ULM, South Alabama, Easy wins, but didn't play great. Temple, their one loss on the season. Tulsa almost lost that game. So Memphis has not been the same team on the road this year. So I think what this week did is allow them to take a look at that, take a step back, hopefully refocus. Um, I think with the, the obviously the biggest development you know going into this game is Will Patrick Taylor play uh, from people that I talked to close to the program. He maybe could have went against SMU, but didn't want to rush him back. Uh, so there's been no official word yet. I could definitely see him playing in this game. It definitely makes sense for him to come back at this point. And if, if he does, I'm very interested to see what that does look like. That's something that we've talked about for a few weeks now. So that could definitely be a big development to watch going into the Houston game. Kenny Gainwell lining up as a receiver. More of it. Yeah, I'm it'll all be, for it. It'll be interesting. I have no idea how they handle it. But uh, obviously you have a good coach in Mike Novell to to figure that out. And it's a good problem to have. Well, I mean, and the the most important thing about that to me is you see that whenever a, a defense keys on Kenny Gainwell, you know, they, they have other options. But what what happens when you put Patrick Taylor back there as well and now you've got a key on Patrick Taylor too? 
it gives Kenny Gainwell more space. It, it allows him to make plays. And, and Kenny Gainwell being back there, let's just flip the script. Kenny Gainwell being back there, Kenny Gainwell lining up uh, as receiver or in the slot allows Patrick Taylor to get more space coming back. Um, so it's, it's crazy what could happen with Patrick Taylor back on the field. Uh, so, yeah, Houston – was decently in the game with a uh, you know a top twenty five team in Washington State. Uh, they they were never really in it in that Cincinnati game. Cincinnati's a heck of a football team. Uh, Definitely could have beat SMU. Yeah, barely lost to SMU. Pretty much gave that game away. That was you know their version of the Memphis Tulsa game for the Tigers. Um, so quasi dangerous team. Completely felt like they were falling apart at one point. Um, have nothing to really lose, right? So Memphis can't go into this game overlooking them. Um, they've got to come in focused. And, you know, because Houston, you can't sneeze at them. They're not a UConn, you know. i got to get that shot in def- while I can. So um, what, are you, what are your score predictions? Let's do a score prediction for Saturday. Man, we you never made me do score predictions, but uh I know. Okay, but Houston's defense is really bad. Let's just call it what it is. They don't have a good defense. Um and before I before I make the score prediction, I think if you recall last year, the game was tied going into the fourth quarter. Memphis dominated the fourth quarter. They got in their heavy package, they pounded Daryl Henderson and Patrick Taylor and ended up winning that game pretty handily. I think you could see something similar, especially if Patrick Taylor comes back because last year when Patrick Taylor came into the game, he was going to run inside. When Daryl Henderson came in the game, he was going to run outside. But with Kenny, Kenny Gainwell and Patrick Taylor, if they are both on the field on Saturday, you have no idea what's coming. So I think really Memphis can go about it so many ways to attack this defense. So I do think they have a good game offensively, regardless of if Patrick Taylor's in the game or not. Oh, I'm going to go... I'm gonna say Memphis puts up another another big scoring game, 48. I think Houston sticks around much like last year until the fourth quarter. I'm gonna go 48, 48-38. I think Memphis wins by 10. I think they're projected to win by 10 and a half uh, on the on the betting line. So I'm gonna go I'm gonna go 10, 48-38. Dude, I was going 48-31. Ooh, you. I was tempted to go 48-28. I feel like Memphis's defense is going to come out inspired. They're rested, had a week off, kind of get things back to uh, you know where they were and right the ship a little bit. I feel like their defense will come out inspired, ready to f- close out the season strong. You know that I think they've got kind of a big task ahead of them with Cincinnati. Knowing that, kind of locked in, I feel like Memphis is going to hold Houston to under their average or right at it. 28 31 points so we're not far off but i think memphis is going to win a little bit bigger than you do yeah i mean it it could definitely happen i I love your point about the defense because they've had a rough few weeks so getting the bye week could definitely help them kind of kind of shape some things up and get back to the way that they were playing early in the season and you know houston is um is known for turning the ball over a little bit i'm not sure if uh, clayton toon will be starting but if he does, Clayton Toon is known to uh, try to fit try to fit the football into some areas that it cannot fit into. So I wouldn't be surprised if Memphis gets a few turnovers and, like I said, kind of kind of separates himself in the fourth quarter. And and here's the the reason why I feel like the defense is kind of set to like right the ship, so to speak. You know, they they had such a good showing against Tulane. They were, I mean, just 
stupidly good. And I feel like that that Tulsa game was a little bit of an outlier. Obviously, Tulsa does have a, a very prolific offense that can put up points in a hurry. But I feel like that, that two-lane game, because of last year, because of how much it meant to them to come back and basically just beat the shit out of Tulane, I, th- I feel like they were so keyed on that game that they they went into Tulsa a little flat. So I, f- I kind of feel like that's an outlier. You throw that out, and then SMU is up there at the top. Just of the, a good I mean, they're just really freaking team. good. Yeah, I mean, their offense is really, really good. Shane Bouchelle is a pro and has a yeah. chance to play on Sundays. So, you know, that is not that much – of uh you know it's it's not that much of a sore thumb when you look at it statistically compared to what SMU has done the rest of the season. I feel like Houston is not that team. Houston has a decent offense. They can put up points, but I feel like Memphis is in a position to where they now know what they're playing for. Their their path is right in front of them and in order to get there, they're going to have to to be able to stop Cincinnati at least once, probably twice. And the key to those games is going to be be able to stop them defensively. So uh, I've, I have a feeling that Adam Fuller and that crew has them totally locked in, ready to go this Saturday. They're gonna they're gonna hold Houston, and I, I wouldn't I, I wouldn't be shocked if they held them to like twenty four points. So that said, I got nothing else. We got the VIP podcast coming soon. Obviously, this was a very long special edition of Tigers and 20 with the breaking news at the beginning. Christian, you got anything else? All good. All right. That's a wrap. Thank you for listening to Tigers and 20. If you enjoyed this episode, we would love for you to leave a comment and a rating wherever you download your podcasts. If you are interested in daily content all about the University of Memphis athletic program, please hop over to www.gotigers247.com. Articles are uploaded daily, and you can join the Go Tigers 247 family by signing up for the VIP membership for even more behind-the-scenes information. 